Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. I see the I seem fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 226. Yeah, 226. How is everybody? Oh my goodness. Well, let's get some things out of the way. Burlington, Vermont. I will be there again in October. So I had originally scheduled you guys for, uh, I think, April, but um, it's just too much with my writing job, and I I could just focus on that job and not do all this road stuff at the same time because I need to be at work. So anyway, I'm back. Tickets um, just went on sale. And, well, they were on sale before, so some of those have carried over. So don't hesitate. It's a small, beautiful little club. Oh, if you haven't been, it's such a great comedy club. It's actually run by funny people who are um, uh, in the improv world, like is in improvisa- Im- improvisation, improvisation, not like the comedy club, the improv. And um, they have great comedians and the club is run by people who love comedy, not by people who want to sell drinks. Not that they don't want to make a living as well, but you know what I'm saying. So uh, when I tell you to support a comedy club because it keeps the right kinds of comedians being supported, then I tell you to support this club. So if you're like, no, why don't you come to where I am? I go where the quality places are that I want to support. It's a relatively new club. It's a few years old. They're young people, small business owners. They're wonderful. So if you're anywhere in Vermont, this is where I perform in Vermont. Tough cookies if you don't like it. I got to get my butt there. You get your butt there. Why does it have to be so antagonistic? I don't. But I'll be at the Vermont Comedy Club in Burlington, Vermont for five shows. 
in October, October 11th through the 13th. One show Thursday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday. And I will be availing myself to you after the shows. I'm going to sell some merchandise, some books. So if you haven't had my chance to get my books yet, you'll get them there. It's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, Bloomington, Indiana, as you know, I rescheduled that date. I'll be coming to you a little sooner. Um, then I'll be coming to Vermont. I'll be in Bloomington, Indiana, Thursday, May 10th through Saturday, May 12th. Now, I've played all over Indiana, Fort Wayne, you bet. But this time it's just Bloomington. Again, this is one of those comedy clubs that I am passionate about supporting. The Comedy Attic. It's my third time back. The guy that runs it is a trip. And Jared is his name and he's amazing. And I will never forget, I'm backstage one night and I just done the early show on a Saturday and the late show was about to sell out. And he's answering phone calls. He's like, hello? He's like, yeah, there's tickets available for tonight. You're what? You're a bachelorette party? He goes, no. And he hangs up on them and they call back and he's like, fine. Are you drunk? Because you can't be drunk. We'll kick you out. It was the best. Normally comedy clubs are like, oh my God, totally a bachelorette party. We'll put you right up front. And you know, they interrupt the comedians and they're like three chances and you're out. It's like three chances. So you mean the show gets ruined three times? That's not even three chances a night. It's three chances per comic. There's three comics. Nine times they get to interrupt the show because they like to keep selling them drinks. Comedy addict don't play that. Do you understand? See, a lot of these comedy clubs got themselves in trouble in the late 90s when they were trying to cash in on the comedy boom. There was a lot of comedy. People were going out to comedy. And then there was the comedy bust. And nobody was going to comedy anymore. And so they just started, clubs just started giving away free tickets. Like it was known that you don't have to pay for a ticket at a comedy club. You just get free tickets and they make their money off drinks. So they push drinks, do this, drink that. Some, some comedy clubs still do this. I don't go near them, but they like the host will have to be like pushing drinks on stage or there'll be like shots for everybody. It's so crazy. So you're just training people to come in for free and not respect the art form and to just get drunk. It's ridiculous. Like, so what I love about the Comedy Attic and the Vermont Comedy Club, it's like it's like what it should be. Like grown-ups are going to a nightclub. I'm sure they're going to have some beverages and they're going to pay money, a decent price and not an overpriced price, where they're going to keep the club and the comedians in business. They're going to pay for a nice night out. And because they've paid, they're going to respect themselves and the performer. And they're going to have a great time. And you get a little drunk, this is all right, just shut up about it, you know? Uh, so I, I don't fuck around. I don't do many comedy clubs because, because of what I just told you, because of how they run. So when you see me doing a comedy club, you know that I beyond endorse it. I don't always endorse every venue I perform in. Um, but comedy clubs, I do not go to them unless I absolutely endorse that business. So Again, Indiana. I'm not going all over Indiana. I just have one date there. Again, I'm working more on the TV side of things this year. I'm not on tour. When I'm on a tour, you know, I might stop three places in one state. But this is like, hey, I love this club. I'm going to go back and visit, make a couple bucks, get in, get out. So that's what this is. If you live anywhere near Bloomington, Indiana, take a little drive in. It's a beautiful town. It's a beautiful town. I love it. It's aggressively liberal. Aggressively. Like, literally, there's signs in the bars there. Like, 
on the windowsill facing out that's like, if you're homophobic or anything like that, like, fuck you, you can't come in here. It's the best. It's the best. So when people who don't travel like I do, you know, they'll say things like, Indiana, oh, do you find that people like your act there? Yeah. Yeah, they're not idiots. There's, there's good people all over, you morons. You think New York and L.A. is the best crowds on earth? Because they're not. Well, New York's pretty good. L.A.'s fine, too. You know, I think once you have a fan base like me, you find that all crowds are good because they actually want to hear what you have to say. Uh, good story, Jen. Do you have any more like it? Um, so that's some of that business. And um, London, I'm coming back for one night in June. Now, I can't get into the whole situation. It's be- I'm going to come back. A- I'm going to do a UK little jaunt in the fall. But right now, this is just for London. And I'm coming back June 22nd. So mark it down. It's not going to be at the Soho Theater, though. So basically, because my run did so well at the Soho um, and sold out, like some people couldn't get in. And so we're doing one more night. But we couldn't get we couldn't get the Soho for the dates that we wanted. And they couldn't get me for the dates that they wanted me there. And so I'm, I have other business to do in London. So while I'm there, I'm like, hey, I'll do this show. And some people that need to see me are going to come to that show. Like uh, business deals are, uh, well, they're not being made, but they're being proposed. So I knew you're like, why only back for one show? That's why, because it's like tied up in some other stuff. And then I'm going to hit the UK in the fall. But I think since I've just been in London, I probably won't repeat it again in the fall. That might be a little crazy. So... Any of you who didn't get to see me a few months ago, you can see me in June. Anyone who did see me a few months ago, you can come back, but it's not going to be all new material. It's not going to be a making it up as I go along show. It'll be, um, it might be a mix of all kinds of things from over the years. So you'll still have a good time, but I just want to warn you, it's not like new, new, new. So I'm personally worried because I'm like, how am I going to get anyone to come? But we'll see. Um, I'll worry about that later. So anyway, um... Is that the only business? Oh, you can uh, email the podcast, iseemfun at gmail.com if you want to comment on anything we've talked about on the show. And uh, what else can I tell you? Uh, go to iTunes, give the show five stars. Why don't you write a review? And in this week's review, you can write, um, uh, you can write, fuck the haters. Oh, I hate when this happens. I can fuzz on my glass here. Ugh. You know what? I changed my mind. I was going to have a glass of wine. It's all bad. This wine is bad. Not like Michael Jackson bad, but like yuckers, McGuckers. Ugh. Why is that so bad? Is it because I wasn't home for six weeks and like, did my apartment get too hot? I have a wine fridge, but... Maybe I should have, should I open? Yeah, I'll open something that I kept in the wine fridge. How does that sound? (sighs) Ugh, that was nasty. It's not even old. Ugh. This is sort of like, I shouldn't even be, well, 
my acid reflux was back and now it's back under control and I'm not sick anymore. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been dying for just like a glass of wine. And this is sort of like my night out right now. Um, I'm also waiting on some news, like a career thing that just came up last minute. And um, I'm killing time. I have an hour before I get a phone call that will determine one aspect of my immediate future. And if the thing doesn't happen, it's something I a week ago I never thought I was up for anyway. So it won't matter in the scheme of life. It's not like something I've been planning, but it would, if it, if, if it goes forward, it's basically like I'm waiting to hear on something. If it's no, then the whole thing is over and that's fine. If it's yes, then I go to the next level. It doesn't mean I nailed the thing. Uh, but it's always better to find out you're going to the next level than that. There's no chance. So I'm trying to distract myself by doing a podcast and because it's time to do a podcast. But I was like, oh, let me have a glass of wine. And, uh, but it's just not working out. They all taste like shit. But also I just, sometimes I'm just not in the mood for alcohol, if that makes sense. Like I think I am. I'm like, oh my God, I'm dying for a glass of wine. And then I have a glass of something. I don't like it. I've done that at restaurants. I'm like, can I try this? And I'm like, Egh. and then I'm like, can I try that? Ugh. And I'm like, you know what? I'll just have a sparkling water. Um, I saw that happen to, uh, the, or not today, the other day I was at a restaurant and, uh, and I, I tried to tweet about it and nobody got the joke. I mean, not that it was like an amazing joke, but I was at a restaurant and I was next to these two women. It was obviously some kind of business lunch. Like, I don't think it was boss employee, but it was definitely like not two strangers necessarily, but there's definitely either a hierarchy between them or just both of them needed to look professional to the other. And the waiter was like, can I interest you in um, a coffee, a tea? Would you like to look at the wine list? And you go to one of the ladies, her eyes kind of lit up at the mention of the wine list. Because it's like 1.30, you can have a glass of wine at lunch. Be European about it. And she kind of was like, um, I could, you could see she was about to be like, I could have a glass. And the other woman was like, just water for me. And the other one's like, oh yeah, just water for me too. Oh yeah, everyone loves water. The thing they give for free when you first sit down. Like, come on, you didn't want water. So I tweeted basically like, I don't believe anyone who says water is just fine. And then a bunch of people were like, I only get water at restaurants because I'm broke. I'm like, when is this victimization going to end with the young people calling them? No, poor. You're young. You're not poor. You're white. You're not poor. You're broke. It's a difference. It's a joke about not wanting to order wine in front of your boss and almost getting caught doing it. It's not a joke about who can't afford. I can't. The whole culture has been poisoned. You know what I'm saying? With all this Oh, you know who did it. All right, hang on. There's too many glasses of wine here now. Put this gross one away. Ugh. Let's see how this one is. Yeah, see, that's tolerable. It, it's all about the wine fridge. I can't leave bottles out. I can't have bottles of wine that aren't in the wine fridge. Um, not when I'm out of town for... Six weeks and my apartment probably gets to like over a hundred degrees when I'm not, when I'm not here. All right. Anyway. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. 
Um, well, that one sip will be all that I take because I can't shut the fuck up. I am part of the All Things Comedy Network. Go to allthingscomedy.com and find out about some other great podcasts. If you want to contact the podcast, I love when you guys write on the Facebook page. And it's been a little dead lately. I don't know if you're all leaving Facebook because it's owned by Russia. I don't know why I'm still on there. But facebook.com slash Podcast or tweet at Podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm on uh, Instagram. I do my Instagram stories. You guys told me you want to see the Instagram stories, not just when I'm on tour, but day-to-day life. So I try to do it. Um, I'm Jen Kirkman at Instagram, and I'm on Pinterest having a fun time at Ms. Jen Kirkman. Um, got all kinds of fun boards up in there. So there's, there's some pretty exciting news in the... UFO world, um, which there's just, I mean, I don't even talk politics on this podcast because it's too crazy. It's, I mean, right now, Mueller subpoenaed Trump companies' financials, and that was something that Trump said that would be crossing a line if Mueller ever did that. So everyone's like, is he going to fire him? But if he does fire him, then he really burns himself in the ass because then all the indictments rain down. I don't even know. I'm just, I'm still following it. Like it's my part-time job. I'm actually following it like it's my full-time job. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's definitely something I'm, but I'm interested in it. I mean, it's like when people are like, you know that movie when this happens? No. Well, what shows do you watch? Nothing. I follow the Trump Russia thing. I'm obsessed with it. No, but you know that show? No, I don't. I don't know the show. These are the shows I've watched this year. Grace and Frankie, or Frankie and Grace, Queer Eye. I love Baskets. I think. Oh, I think I forgot to DVR it, so I'll have to go find that. Um, Maria Bamford's show, Lady Dynamite. Uh, what else? I don't know. But, you know, it's Stranger Things. And, uh, and I like Transparent, but that I think I've caught up on everything. But, like, that's it. It's like I have five or six shows I like, and everybody calm down. Um. I do not like watch TV a lot. Not in a like, I don't watch TV way. I just, I'm going through a different phase. Anyway, so because there's so much news, nobody's talking about that a lot more Air Force guys and gals are reporting UFO sightings and it's getting weird. So, okay, this is from the Washington Post from March 9th, as in, you know, this March. Hang on, I'm going to move my computer, too. Oh, shit. Shit. Shit, people. Okay. All right. Uh, This is from March 9th by Christopher Mellon. Christopher Mellon served as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence in the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations. He is a private equity investor and an advisor to the to the Stars Academy for Arts and Science. So he says, um, we have no idea what's behind these weird incidents because we're not investigating. So basically, like, the Trump administration has defunded... Uh, a lot of departments. Like there's a ton of our government that's just not functioning. Um, I honestly would have thought of any president 
would fund this kind of shit and spill the beans, it would be Trump. Can't you imagine him being like, I'm the president that told you all about aliens. See, they've been keeping it a secret. Like, I really don't get it unless it's truly so covert that they really don't even tell presidents about it. Um, I don't know. The whole thing's a mystery, but this is what uh, Christopher Mellon is saying. So in December, the Defense Department declassified two videos documenting encounters between U.S. Navy F-18 fighters and unidentified aircraft. The first video captures multiple pilots observing and discussing a strange hovering egg-shaped craft, apparently one of a fleet of such objects, according to cockpit audio. The second video shows a similar incident involving an F-18 attached to the USS Nimitz carrier battle group in 2004. The videos, along with observations by pilots and radar operators, appear to provide evidence of the existence of aircraft far superior to anything possessed by the United States or its allies. Defense Department officials who analyzed the relevant intelligence confirm more than a dozen such incidents off the East Coast alone since 2015. In another recent case, the Air Force launched F-15 fighters last October in a... That's a huge deal. We don't know this. The Air Force launched F-15 fighters last October in in a failed attempt to intercept an unidentified high-speed aircraft looping over the Pacific Northwest. Okay. I was in the Pacific Northwest last October. I didn't, I didn't see any of this. A third declassified video released by To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science, a privately owned media and scientific research company, to which I'm an advisor, I meaning Christopher Mellon, who wrote the article, not me, Jen Kirkman, reveals a previously undisclosed Navy encounter that occurred off the East Coast in 2015. Is it possible that America has been technologically leapfrogged by Russia or China? I don't think Russia, no. This is a dirt broke fucking country, people. And all they have is cyber warfare, and they're good at it. But I don't think so. Um, Or as many people wondered after the videos were first published by the New York Times in December, might they be evidence of some alien civilization? Unfortunately, we have no idea because we aren't even seeking answers. I served as Deputy, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence for the Clinton and George W. Bush administrations and as Staff Director for the Senate Intelligence Committee. And I know from numerous discussions with Pentagon officials over the past two years that military departments and agencies treat such incidents as isolated events rather than as part of a pattern requiring serious attention and investigation. That's so maddening. We all know that... the this is a pattern. Let us work on it. All us I seem funners who are interested in this stuff. A colleague of mine at To The Stars Academy, Luis Elizondo, used to run a Pentagon intelligence program that examined evidence of anomalous aircraft, but he resigned last fall to protest government inattention to the growing body of empirical data. Meanwhile, reports from different services and agencies remain largely ignored and unevaluated inside their respective bureaucratic stovepipes. There is no Pentagon process for synthesizing all the observations the military is making. The current approach is equivalent to having the Army conduct a submarine search without the Navy. 
It's also reminiscent of the counterterrorism efforts of the CIA and the FBI before September 11th, 2001. Ooh, got our 9-11 reference in. I didn't even bring it up. When each had information on the hijackers that they kept to themselves. In this instance, the truth may ultimately prove benign, but why leave it to chance? A Pentagon spokesman did not respond to requests from the Washington Post for comment, but in December, the military confirmed the existence of a program to investigate UFOs and said it had stopped funding the research in 2012. The military personnel who are encountering these phenomena tell remarkable stories. In one example, over the course of two weeks in November 2004, the USS Princeton a guided missile cruiser operating advanced naval radar, repeatedly detected unidentified aircraft operating in and around the Nimitz carrier battle group, which it was guarding off the coast of San Diego. In some cases, according to incident reports and interviews with military personnel, these vehicles descended from altitudes higher than 60,000 feet at supersonic speeds, only to suddenly stop and hover as low as 50 feet above the ocean. The United States possesses nothing capable of such feats. On at least two occasions, F-18 fighters were guided to intercept these vehicles and were able to verify their location, appearance, and performance. Notably, these encounters occurred in broad daylight and were independently monitored by radars aboard multiple ships and aircraft. According to naval aviators I've spoken with at length, the vehicles were roughly 45 feet long and white. Yet these mysterious aircraft easily sped away from and outmaneuvered America's frontline fighters without a discernible means of propulsion. From my work with the To The Stars Academy, which seeks to raise private funds to investigate incidents like the 2004 Nimitz encounter, I know they continue to occur because we are being approached by military personnel who are concerned about national security and frustrated by how the Defense Department is handling such reports. I am also familiar with the evidence as a former Pentagon intelligence official and a consultant who began researching the issue after the Nimitz incident was brought to my attention. On several occasions, I have met with senior Pentagon officials and at least one followed up and obtained briefings confirming incidents such as the Nimitz case. But nobody wants to be the alien guy in the national security bureaucracy. Nobody wants to be ridiculed or sidelined for drawing attention to the issue. This is true up and down the chain of command, and it is a serious and recurring impediment to progress. If the origin of these aircraft is a mystery, so is the paralysis of the U.S. government in the face of such evidence. Sixty years ago, when the Soviet Union put the first man-made satellite into orbit, Americans recoiled at the idea of being technologically surpassed by a dangerous rival, and the furor over Sputnik ultimately produced the space race. Americans responded vigorously, and a little more than a decade later, Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. If these craft mean that Russia, China, or some other nation is concealing an astonishing technological breakthrough to quietly extend its lead, surely we should respond now as we did then. Perhaps Russian President Vladimir Putin's recent chest-thumping claims about propulsion breakthroughs are not pure braggadocio. Or, if these craft really aren't from Earth, then the need to figure out what they are is even more urgent. 
Lately, media coverage of the issue of unidentified aerial vehicles has focused on an expired $22 million congressional earmark for Bigelow Airspace, a contractor with ties to former Senate Democratic leader Harry Reid, Nevada. The, the money mostly funded research and analysis by that contractor without participation from the Air Force, NORAD, or other key military organizations. The real issue, though, is not a long-gone earmark, helpful though it may have been, but numerous recent incidents involving the military and violations of U.S. airspace. It is time to set aside taboos regarding UFOs and instead listen to our pilots and radar operators. Within a roughly billion annual intelligence budget, money is not the issue. Existing funds would easily cover what's needed to look into the incidents. What we lack above all is recognition that this issue warrants a serious collection and analysis effort. To make headway, the task needs to be assigned to an official with the clout to compel collaboration among disparate and often quarrelsome national security bureaucracies. A truly serious effort would involve, among other things, analysts able to review infrared satellite data, NORAD radar databases, and signals in human intelligence reporting. Congress should require an all-source study by the Secretary of Defense while promoting research into new forms of propulsion that might explain how these vehicles achieve such extraordinary power and maneuverability. As with Sputnik, the national security implications of these incidents are concerning, but the scientific opportunities are thrilling. Who knows what perils we may avoid or opportunities we might identify if we follow the data. We cannot afford to avert our eyes given the risk of strategic surprise. The future belongs to not only the physically brave, but also the intellectually agile. So I have audio. Um, So there's this video that accompanied, I don't know if it was this article, but there was another similar article about like, what is this? And it's a video and I'm looking at the video and I'm like, I don't understand what these guys are seeing. It just looks like a white blob. And they're like, oh my God, look at that. And I'm like, they're like, it's a fleet of them. And I'm like, you know, of course the headlines like astonishing footage. I'm like, I don't see it. So it's from USA Today. It says UFO encounter, new footage shows U.S. Navy pilots apparent sighting of an alien craft near the East Coast. So this is from 2015. Um, A U.S. Navy F-A-18 Super Hornet encountered this apparent UFO off the East Coast of the United States in 2015. So I don't know if this is like it was just flying around or if these are one of the planes that was sent to intercept, but... This is the audio, so I will play it for you. Um, What they are saying is this. So newly declassified video and audio show U.S. Navy pilots apparently encountering a UFO with no wings and no tail as they flew their Boeing F-A-18 Super Hornet fighter jet along the East Coast in 2015. What is that thing? One pilot can be heard saying in the video. Oh my gosh, dude, look at that flying, another exclaims. According to a report on abcnews.com, The 35-second footage captured by an infrared camera aboard an F-A-18 fighter traveling at 25,000 feet was released Friday by To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science. So that's the guy that I just read that article. He funded this company. A private scientific... Um, The Department of Defense declined to comment on this video. Um... They see an oval-shaped object hovering above the sea. So I'll put this link 
in the uh, Icing Fun place on the, um, you know, on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Icing Fun. So let me play the video for you right now. That's it. I mean, to me, I'm like, I don't know what's happening. Those guys seem to be having a lot of fun. But I guess that's how I'd be, too. I don't think I'd be scared. I mean, look at me talking tough. First of all, I'd be too afraid to get in one of those Navy... uh, Well, a Navy plane would be scary because there isn't such a thing. But an Air Force, I don't like all that shit. Um, Too scared. But I feel like if I weren't scared of that, like let's say I was on a regular flight and I looked out the window and saw a UFO, I think I'd totally be like, oh my God, dude, woo, like that kind of laughing. Wow, Jen, that's so insightful. Thanks. No worries, guys. Um, like my headphones are too loud and I'm screaming. I'm screaming. Screaming to be hurt. No, I can't hear myself at all. Okay, that's a good balance. That's a good balance. All right, so I got home from Brooklyn this week. I will be back in L.A. for a few weeks. I'm doing some cool stuff. I've got, well, my lab test show that I do at the Hollywood Improv Lab is sold out for March 21st. If you bought tickets for it, it means you bought tickets months ago. So check your wallet or your inbox or wherever you keep tickets. And um, if you have one, show up. And if uh, you don't have one, you're really desperate to come. Um, you can show up at the box office between 7 and 7.30 on Wednesday, March 21st. And if people flake on their tickets, you can come on in. Um, and but I added April 4th because of the popular demand. So you can get tickets right now to the April 4th. It's all on my website, jenkirkman.com. Click tour dates, everybody. And you will be able to get tickets to my show, where I work out all new stuff. Um, And then Thursday, March 22nd, I am a keynote speaker and uh, leading a panel discussion um, for a new political action committee called Fund Her, which is looking to create gender parity by 2028, specifically in California, by electing more female progressive candidates. And um, I will just be talking a little bit about the importance of women uh, actually representing in government and how that does affect society. Um, So the tickets are, it is a dinner and a benefit and a fundraiser. So the tickets are a little pricey. So if you can't afford to come, you can always just uh, donate whatever you can and uh, that information is in my newsletter, if you join my newsletter. Um, but I actually think by the time you hear this, 
it might be too late. So wait, let me let me just tell you the website to go to. Sorry about sorry about this, everybody. Go to um ifundher.org, I-F-U-N-D-H-E-R.org, and on there will be the information that you need about the event, which is Thursday, March 22nd in Beverly Hills. That's where I want to be. Okay. Um, What else? Oh, and on March 31st, I will be at Largo, Los Angeles, with uh, Tig Notaro and Wendy Liebman. That show is also a benefit for the PAVE, P-A-V-E Foundation, which um, helps with sexual assault victims. So that show is also a benefit show. Uh, tickets are on the pricier side, but again, it's a complete total benefit show. Nobody's getting paid, and all proceeds go to PAVE. So that's on my website as well, jenkirkman.com. Click tour dates, or you can go to largo-la.com, or just Google Largo Los Angeles P-A-V-E. And you will find the information for that show. But I'm back. So I get home last Saturday. And, you know, when I come back, it's like I have a million things to do. Like I've got other projects I'm working on. I got people emailing me, do this, do that, do this, do that. So I land Saturday. And that's just like. My favorite thing to do is be like, oh, I'm getting in at like midnight. Just nobody bother me. I'm getting in at 2 p.m. Just, I'm not around. I come home. Um, The best part about the Airbnb apartment I was staying in is that I had a washer dryer. So I got to wash my clothes fully and come home with suitcases of clean clothes. Except for a couple things that needed dry cleaning, whatever. So I come home, I unpack. That takes a couple hours. Um, I'm like, you know what? I'm so fucking tired. I can't even get up and go to the grocery store. I'm just going to postmate some food. So I have this big day planned the next day. A lot of self-care. I'm going to do some stuff. I get up in the morning. I'm like, you know, I always go to sleep early when I get off a plane. I'm jet lagged. I wake up earlier in the morning. Fully dressed. A little makeup, hair is blown dry. I get in my car, it's dead. Car's dead. It's a brand new car. I've had it a year. It shouldn't be dead. Battery's dead. I do not believe I left any lights on or anything. Um, I think the battery was dying, and I feel like because I didn't start my, I don't know why this would be a thing, but the batteries died before because uh, last year I did leave the car on overnight. Um, don't know how I did that. Not running, but just on. Now, normally people in my building notice because I think the security guard does a lap and they'll contact you and be like, Hey, your lights are on, but I don't know, somehow, whatever. So then they recharged my battery last year and I feel like it's never been the same since. And so, but thank God for just like triple eight, 65 bucks a year. I mean, what a reasonable membership. And I call and they're like, we'll be there in a half hour. They're there in like 10 minutes. I walked to Starbucks down the street. They're calling me like, where are you? I'm like, I can't believe it. But I'd been Googling because I was starting to get nervous. Like 
sometimes when stuff like that happens, I start future tripping and I'm like, oh my God. And then I have to move this back today. My whole day's ruined. And then I'm going to have to take it to the shop tomorrow and they're going to have to look at it. And then that's going to be canceled. And it's like, okay, calm down. You want to start canceling your week. See what the guy says. So I looked up like, what's the difference between like a dead battery and when you know it's something else. And I'm like, I just reacquainted myself like, oh, right. The alternator, it could, you know, Hopefully it's not the alternator. Hopefully it's just this, that. So the guy comes and I'm like, how do I know that it's just a dead battery and it's not the electrical system or the alternator? He's like, oh, I test for that. I totally forgot that AAA does that. So he's like, yep. And he showed me the thing. He's like, your battery is at replace. Let's replace it. He replaces it. He's like, now I'm going to test the alternator. He's like, your car's totally fine. It was just the battery. I'm like, that's awesome. So done within 45 minutes. I mean, that's pretty amazing. So then I'm off to wherever I'm going and my day is back on track. But then I get home and it's like, my garbage disposal is broken. I don't know why. Then like my cable doesn't work. Like my Netflix works, but my cable box, I can see the cable TV picture, but there's no sound. I'm calling the cable company. They're taking me through all these drills. They're like, oh, so then I go into my other room, my home office, and the cable box in that room is totally blown out. You can't even turn it on. And they're like, oh, because that box is blown out. That affects the volume in the living room. I'm like, sounds good to me. They're like, we'll send someone out tomorrow. I'm like, great. Then my internet goes down. That's a whole separate thing. I'm like, you know what? I'm on way too many phone calls. So like a bunch of shit I had to cancel because I just had to deal with all this. So then the guy comes with the cable thing. And he's like, yep, that box is dead. And then as he's replacing it with a new box, he goes, oh, actually the outlet it was plugged into is dead. And I go, oh, I feel like an idiot. But then not a total idiot because he thought it was dead too. And then he realized it was the outlet. So just saying. But then he's like, well, do you still want the new box? I'm like, yeah. I mean, I'm not paying for it. It's it's like a free swap. So do it. So he did. And they start telling me, he's like, you had all these old coaxial cables. I made it an HDMI. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. He's like, it's just neater. I'm like, sure. Looks the same to me. But okay. God bless. God bless everyone. And you do your thing. So he's like, want me to reprogram the remote? I'm like, I don't know what that means. Sure. Go ahead. I mean, I'm smart about some tech and then a complete Luddite in other areas. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have room for that in my head. So... I said, well, what about the volume in the living room? And uh, no, no, no. Before any of that, he comes in. I'm like, so here's the deal. The volume in the living room doesn't work. And I turn it on. It's totally working. He's probably like this dumb woman. I hate when you're like, I'm being judged on my gender. But you're like, no, I swear to God. I go, I unplugged and turned the TV on and off like 50 times last night. I was on the phone. The sound wasn't working. And now it miraculously is. He's like, okay. He just wasn't listening. Um, anyway, so that all got fixed. But then it was like, then I go to therapy. And my therapist was like, oh, shit. I forgot to write down that we had an appointment. I'm with someone else. I'm like, what? Everything this week got fucked up. Everything got canceled. Everything's breaking. Just one of those weeks. You know what people always say? Mercury's in retrograde. And also sometimes things just suck. How does that sound to everybody? Also sometimes things just suck. But yeah, really could have used that therapy appointment. You know what I'm saying? 
Are some of you still not in therapy? People, how? You got to listen to me because you know this episode is sponsored by our friends at Totspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere, anytime. All you need is a computer with an internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app. So this means you can improve your mental health even if you've had trouble making time for it in the past. Do you understand? Talkspace is the online therapy company for how we live today. Their therapists are licensed. They've had thousands of hours of at least, um, sorry, at least, sorry, I've lost my mind. There's at least 2,000 licensed therapists who work at Talkspace. And you get to pick them. They're not just going to assign you some schmo. Okay? You can, uh, it's first of all, it's a fraction of the price of traditional therapy. And you don't have to get off your butt and go anywhere. You can text with them or audio message or voice message them or have an actual face-to-face on the screen talk. So, and again, You could even just talk about little things. It doesn't have to be like, oh my God, my childhood, this. It's just, it's just about practical everyday strategies for stress management, living a happier life. They are trained to listen. They will help you make positive changes. There's no extra commutes, no leaving the office, no judgments. Okay, guys, I'm telling you, the beauty of therapy is you learn to be an observer to your own life, if that makes sense. It's not that you're walking around overthinking and analyzing everything. It actually causes you to do that less. We can get into that obsession where we're like, what about this? What about that? Well, what if I'd done this? But with therapy, it's like you start to understand certain things about yourself and you can put them in those buckets, you know, like, and, and when something pops up, my therapist always goes, if it's hysterical, it's historical, right? If you're freaking out, it's like some old trauma, some old way that you've always handled things. Sometimes we even handle things as adults the way that we used to as kids. We got to get rid of that. So a lot of times you go, oh my God, I'm doing that thing. I know what it is because I've been going to therapy. Or you might have a thought flare up, but you don't react to it anymore because you've learned new coping skills in therapy, right? So Get that going. Go to Talkspace.com slash Jen. That is Talkspace.com slash J-E-N. And then use the code Jen to get $45 off of your first month. That's crazy pricing. And to show your support for this show. That's Jen. Offer code Jen. And it's Talkspace.com slash Jen. Anywho. So... Speaking of sitting there and thinking he's just like judging me on my gender, I experienced some racism a couple weeks ago where I believe I was being seen as the racist. Now, it sucked to high heaven. Now, do I have white privilege? Absolutely. Am I racist? Um, well, no, I'm not a bigot. I don't actually foster beliefs about people who aren't white. Do I have blind spots? Do I have prejudices that I obviously have because of the way I just the world raised me and being white? Of course. I work hard to try to keep bettering myself. But we all know about, or maybe we don't, but... It's similar to what happens to me as a woman when I'm at 
it's not similar, but I'll say like an example, um, when I'm a woman out in the world, uh, like men just start explaining things to me that I didn't ask anything and though I wasn't being sexist. It's like, but you wouldn't just go up to a man and explain it. So there's another phenomenon where it's like you assume someone works somewhere because they're not white. Does that make sense? Like a terrible example would be you're at a five-star hotel and you see a Mexican guy in the lobby and you hand him your suitcase like, take me up to room 200. And he's like, I'm a guest here. And you're like, oh, sorry. It's like, it's your, you know. So that happened to me where I thought this um, black woman was working somewhere. But I promise you it wasn't racism. I know that it's hard to believe that because when guys tell me they're not being sexist, I'm like, well, you don't know you are, you dung, dung, ding, dong. You know, it's, it's, it's never intentional. You know, a lot of the times it's not like, I am sexist. I don't think women this. It's like, you don't realize your subconscious thing that made you think this woman standing here was this, that, the other. So, but I swear mine wasn't even that. So I go to Rent the Runway, which, you know, they've been a sponsor on this show. And I love them. And they have a, a flagship brick and mortar store in New York City. And so I went in there to return some stuff. Now, there's women all over the place, okay? There's women everywhere. And there's lots of women that work there. And they're always running in and out of the dressing room. And they're going over here. So I walk in. There's all colors, shapes, and sizes of women that work there. Mostly... It is sort of like, oh my God, like kind of white women-y that work there. So from the times I've been. So I walk in. Um, you basically, you have to go to a computer and put your email address in and your phone number. And then they, then you shop around. And then when you're ready, you wait in line to try stuff on and they email you and you, you get let into, like you check your email as you're browsing and they're like, we can take you now. So you walk in and you try your stuff on. Well, my phone was dead. So it made no difference if I checked in or not, because I would not be able to get their text or email. But luckily there was nobody really trying things on in the dressing room. So I go there with some clothes in my hand and I stand in there and there is two white women working. One is sitting at a computer and one is like rehanging clothes, taking them out of the dressing rooms, putting them on this rack. And I say, hey, can I try stuff on? They're like, are you a member? I'm like, yeah. They're like, what's your name? Is it in the, did you get an email saying you can try stuff on? I'm like, my phone's dead. I'm like, can you just look up my name, Jen? They're like, oh, well, I'm like, I had to explain. Like, I can't check my email, but I did sign up. So if you go to your computer, I'll tell you my name and you'll see me. Well, oh, okay. So I go in the dressing room. Do you need anything? Um, yeah, I don't think this is the right size. Can you get me another size? Sure. So... The woman goes to look. Another woman comes back uh, with the size that I need. And I go, oh. And she's like, yeah, that was someone else. I was like, oh, okay. 
This is two different white women. So the, the second white woman hands me the thing. Try it on. Eh, it doesn't really fit. So I leave the dressing room. Now there's a third woman who's in the dressing room area outside of the, like, she's in the dressing room work area of the employees that work there as I come out of the curtained area where I try on clothes. But she's at the computer doing something. She's like, how'd it go? I'm like, I'm just going to give these back. And I just hang them on the rack. And I go, but I'm going to come back and get more stuff. So I go, and by the way, it's like freezing. I've got a winter coat on, a scarf, hat. There's nowhere to like hang up your stuff as far as I know. Uh, there's no coat check. Most of the customers are walking around bundled up like Eskimos. And so I'm like holding a bag because I'd been shopping somewhere else for something. My purse bundled up like an Eskimo. You have to get put all that rigmarole back on. And I was planning on leaving the store. And then I was like, well, I didn't check this one section. And I went and I was like, oh, and I found this skirt that I was going to rent. So I go back into the dressing room and uh, there's a girl at the computer. And I said, I don't have to check in again, right? She's like, no, it's good. So I've seen this girl before. She's a repeat worker. I'm like, okay, there's that girl. So I go in the dressing room. I come out and I need a different size. So next to the white woman who's on the computer, the white woman is on the computer reading something intently. It looks like she's looking something up. She's like, ah, da, 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 kind of talking to herself. There's a black woman next to her who doesn't look like a customer who's like, it doesn't look like the white woman on the computer is looking something up for the black woman who's a customer. It looks like they're doing two different things and the black woman standing next to her is kind of looking over her shoulder, just body language style. It looks like maybe she's being trained. It's like her first day. Um, She doesn't have a coat on. She doesn't have a purse in her hands. That's to me the delineation of who works there and who doesn't. Do you have a coat on? Do you have a purse in your hand? And she was like blatantly with her face in the computer. So I thought she worked there. And I don't mean to say I don't see color, but what I saw that made me think she worked there was that she didn't have a winter coat on and was standing in the employee area looking at a computer. She was standing where all the other employees have been standing. And even in fact, earlier when I was in line, they told me to move from the very spot that the black woman was now standing in because as they said, this is for employees. So add all that up within two seconds in my mind, I just went, hey, I'm sorry, are you busy with her or can I ask you about something? And she goes, I don't work here. And I go, oh, I'm sorry. She goes, yeah, I'm not an employee. And I go, oh, totally. I'm so sorry. And I knew right then, oh my God, racism is happening. Racism is happening. She thinks I'm being racist. And so I said, I'm sorry. So now that she's not working there, she's obviously a customer who's waiting to talk to the woman on the computer. So I said, are you the line? Are you where the line is to talk to her? She goes, I'm not in line for anything. So she doesn't work there, but she's also not in line. Okay. Just stand in there. I'm like, 
okay, well, I don't want to cut you in line. I want to ask this woman a question. So you're all good? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, I want to go. I didn't think you worked here because you're black and I'm a racist. I thought you worked here because you're standing in the employee area and you don't have a coat or a purse in your hand. And who? No one here doesn't except the people working here. And I just, I was so embarrassed and ashamed. I just left. Didn't even get the thing I needed to get because I wanted to say that to her. But it's like, it's not about me in that moment. You know, that's just my ego wanting to be like, not all white people. Excuse me. I'm very well aware of the racist thing where women, um, I mean, where people think that a minority, um, person of color, minority meaning, you know what I'm saying? A person of color works with, I don't want to do that because it's not about me. The point is whether I was being racist or not, this woman experiences racism every goddamn day. Even if she doesn't hear it, she knows it. One can assume, right? Even you men, you white men, if you feel left out of this, you can assume women be hating on you every goddamn day, right? But she knows. I know that racism is a part of her life. I know that people have thought she wasn't capable of something because she's black or thought this or that or blah, blah, blah. Of course, of course it's been a running theme in her life. And I'm not going to, she's, what's going to make her feel better if I go, oh, by the way, I wasn't being racist. Is she going to go, oh, good. That 000.1% of the moment of my life where a white person wasn't being racist. Thank you. You made it all better. Like, there's no need for me to tell her that because it was about my ego in that moment. I can't say to her, I wasn't being racist and hope it's going to like, make her fucking day. It's not because she's already probably had racism happen three times that day, you know? So I knew in that moment for me to say anything would be my ego. And then what if, what if I'm totally wrong and she wasn't even thinking about racism and she was like, what? I didn't think that. I mean, that's my Larry David moment, but I could tell I knew what was happening. I knew what was happening. I knew that I was in that moment coming off as racist because I could feel it and it felt icky. So I apologize to you if you're listening. (laughs) And just a reminder that I'm a, I'm a fantastic white person, everybody. (laughs) I don't, I don't know what that point of that story is. Uh, I don't know if you want to weigh in If you want to teach me something, you can weigh in on that. Um, I seem fun at gmail.com. God, I'm waiting for this news. I'm supposed to know by now. I can't take it. Oh, well, speaking of 9-11, because it was mentioned in that article. So when I go back to New York in five weeks, I've got... I'm there from like May, no, like April 14th to June 2nd. And uh, I'm staying in two different Airbnbs because I couldn't get one of them like for the entire time. And the second one I'm staying in, the guy is like an overzealous guy. 
Like I write in my description, like, hey, former New Yorker here. Um, I'm bi-coastal. I'm in New York like six, seven months a year, forever. I like overplay it because New Yorkers want to tell you about stuff. And I'm like, please stop talking. I, I know about the bagels. So I'm like, hey, you know, I'm in town for work. So that's why I'm renting for, you know, a month at a time. And uh, I'm a great tenant. I'm always at work. I don't party. I don't smoke. I wish I could. Um, I don't have pets, you know, whatever. And I'm like, so then the guy writes back like, oh, great. And if you need any restaurant recommendations, I'm like, nope. Like, what is the obsession with recommending restaurants to people? Do you know what the last thing I want to do is tell anyone what to do? Because I got to tell you, we don't know what food people like. I don't want to get in a con- I don't care about you. Eat whatever. You think I give a fuck? Oh, you have to go here. Why do you? Why do I need you to go there? Shut up. Now, if somebody says to me, do you know a good Italian place? I'll go, you know, I really love this place. And I'll tell them what I love about it. They do that thing where they put uh, single candles in a glass vase and it drips. Well, how's the food? Oh, I don't know. I like the kid. You know what I mean? You never know who you're asking and why they like something or why they don't. So I don't even bother. I go, nope, I'm all good. I'm not. He's like, there's plenty to do around New York. I'm like, yeah, no, I know I'm working. Okay. Then he sends another email a week later. He's like, are you planning your trip yet? Like, and it was, I thought these were like maybe automated emails that came out, but he just would not accept that like I'm basically a New Yorker. He's like, one great thing to see is one World Trade Center. I'm like, no, it isn't. It's actually not a great thing to see. And I saw it. And I also watched it fall down. I've seen it. I've been in the building. And then I watched the ashes. I've seen it. I've seen it. In fact, I went there before it was a terrorist attack. And I was scared of the building that because it was too big. I didn't want to be near it. I've always been afraid of that building. I tried to go to, um, I've been to the area and it smells. I mean, not, it just smells like they're always doing construction. That's what I mean. And also just like, no, I don't want to go. Why would you recommend that? It's like literally not fun. And also like, you don't need to recommend the giant monument to the biggest terror attack on American soil ever. Like, we know where it is. Does that make sense? It's like, have you heard of Times Square? Yes, sir. Usually when you recommend something, it's like, nobody knows about it. This coffee shop tucked in the back of the cab. You know, it's not like, what? have you heard of, um, I don't know if you heard about this, but, uh, so Eiffel Tower. What? But anyway, he keeps... Em- I'm like, dude, I'm working. A lot of my good friends live in New York. I've got my routine. I do Pilates. I do meditation. I got my restaurants I go to, my coffee shops. I have too much to do, and I'm not going to get to it. Like, enough. And I have tickets to the David Bowie exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum, and ooh, ooh, I can't wait. I... Can ah uh, to uh, wait. 
what if I get to the David Bowie exhibit? And they're like, I know you have tickets, but do you know what's really good is the Freedom Tower. I don't think I have time for listener emails. I don't have time for listener emails. I don't have time for listener emails. Oh, remember I was complaining about that Pilates teacher who was like, your neck needs to loosen up, which is not true. Uh, Somebody wrote me and they said, hi, Jen, no names. I don't think my wife would appreciate it. Anyway, my wife is a successful Pilates instructor, studio owner. She says that Pilates, that the Pilates teacher you had sounds like a fucking nightmare. And I think this episode was from February 20th or something. And that new age bullshit doesn't belong in a Pilates studio. It reminded her of an instructor she worked with when she first started, who was always trying to sell crystals and electromagnetic wavelength necklaces to clients. That stuff has its place. She actually likes some of that new age stuff, so her bullshit comment made me laugh. But Pilates is for being mindful of your body and core and working out, period. Go to yoga if you want to align your chakras. Oh, that yoga part was my opinion. Just know that a badass Pilates biatch is 100% on your side. Thank you. Yes, Pilates is not... Well, we've already done that. So anyway, I like, I like when people agree with me. But I also don't mind when you don't, unless it's something stupid. So I got sent this book. Now, don't go sending me things. I hate getting stuff. I really do. But because I'm an author, every once in a while, publishing companies will send me things. And I got this um, great little hardcover book put out by Random House um, called The Little Book of Feminist Saints. And it says, uh, for the women who brought us up and for the friends who've become women with us. And the letter they sent said, Jen, if you went to Catholic school, which I didn't, the concept behind the little book of feminist saints might be familiar. The classic Lives of the Saints book matches a saint's biography to each day of the year. You can read it as a daily devotional. One saint is featured per day. But those stories are also awfully juicy about virgins and martyrs and kings. And growing up, author Julia Pierpont was fascinated by them. She found herself thinking about Lives of the Saints again recently in a moment when she was hungry for genuine inspiration. In particular, she was hungry for the stories of inspiring women. Coming out of that idea, the little book of Feminist Saints features 100 groundbreaking women from across history and from around the world, matron saints drawn and written by two wildly talented young women. We hope you found strength and delight in it. So I love this idea. I I did have a thing called the picture book of saints when I was little, but I didn't go to the Catholic school. So I'm just going to open up to a random page and I think I'm going to read one every week until we run out. How does that sound? Okay, so this is on page 25. Please forgive me if I'm saying her name wrong. Yayoi Kusama. Y-A-Y-O-I. Last name Kusama. K-U-S-A-M-A. The matron saint of visionaries. Born 1929, Japan. Feast day, March 22nd. And there's a drawing of her. Um, the vision started in childhood. Flowers would talk to her. The floor would disappear. It didn't help that her mother was abusive. Her father absorbed in love affairs. 
nor that she was sent at 13 to work in a military factory during World War II. Her art became a way of managing her visions and making them concrete. Quote, I would cover a canvas with nets, then continue painting them on the table, on the floor, and finally on my own body. I forgot about myself as they enveloped me. End of quote. The experience is echoed in her wildly popular Obliteration Room, in which visitors enter a white chamber and are invited to cover its surfaces with different colored polka dot stickers. In our age of social media, Instagrammers respond emphatically to the psychedelic, seemingly joyful tone of Kusama's immersive environments. During the first week of her retrospective at the Hirshhorn Museum in Washington, D.C., a visitor tripped and shattered a sculpture while trying to take a selfie. Around the same time, the Washington Post reported, the Kusama selfie is becoming a visual cliche. But these posts miss the art's dark undercurrent. Though Kusama is one of our wealthiest contemporary female artists, she has lived voluntarily at a mental hospital in Tokyo since the 1970s. Quote, By translating hallucinations and fear of hallucinations into paintings, I have been trying to cure my disease, she says. Now in her 80s, she still refers to herself as aspiring. Quote, When I was a kid, I had a hard time convincing my mother that I wanted to become an artist. Is it really true that I am famous and successful? There you go. You learned something new. Until next week, have fun.